What's up, podcast listeners? It's your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is a flashback Friday to episode 63, and it's all about emotional eating. This topic, like many of the topics that I bring up on my solo episodes, affect a lot of people, and when it comes to emotional eating, I think all of us have been a victim to it. You know, whether it's stress in your life or just you find food as an outlet, um, I wanted to bring up my experiences, how I look at it, and put into an episode with, you know, some advice to help those people that have been struggling with emotional eating for years, decades, or most recently just turn to food to kind of fill that void. So without further ado, here is episode 63. Hopefully I'll, I'll help at least one of you and yeah, give it a listen and here we go. Yeah, today what I want to kind of get into is emotional eating. Now, if you listen to my episode with Krista or my solo episode about it binge eating, then you kind of already know where I'm going to go with this. So the first thing you kind of need to know is that emotional eating is not binge eating. And again, I'm not, you know, a psychiatrist, psychologist, or counselor, and I can't, um, you know, define the fine line between the two or prescribe or diagnose or any of those things, but I'm basing it off my own experience and the experience of clients. And the one major clue for emotional eating is, you know, you feel a certain way and you use food to fill that void. Now, I probably have brought up this story a couple times in some of my episodes this past year, but an example of emotional eating can stem from all the way to your childhood. The way that you were brought up as a child around food can affect you until your adulthood. So an example I'm talking about is imagine you're a kid running around outside having fun and you trip and fall. You start crying because you scraped your knee. Then mom comes in to the rescue, picks you up, takes you into the house, you know, patches you up, and then she gives you a cookie to make you feel better. And that, you know, little thing can actually mess you up down the road in your adult life. So now every time you injure yourself or fall over and you make a big fuss about it, your mom's going to give you something sweet like a cookie to fill that sadness of you crying. And if your parents do that enough, you're going to start wanting it. So you know how kids are. They learn and pick things up really quick. So they can even fake it knowing that they're going to get a cookie. So you can almost see like if you, you know, your kids are running around and they fall over and they didn't really hurt themselves that bad enough for them to cry. But it's almost ingrained in their brain that, oh, if I fall, hurt myself or do anything, I should just like cry out to mom and I'm going to get a cookie. And it's really easy to manipulate parents. And even in my episode when I was younger, I used to do that too. 
because I didn't want to eat vegetables and lean protein because I rather have eaten junk food from like McDonald's or whatever. So you really need to think back maybe, you know, as a kid, like did your parents ever use food to comfort you? And then when you become an adult, you know, you have a stressful day at work and the only way you know how to cope is food. So that's one example that I've seen, but also with clients, been training them for years, and you really need to pay attention of the kind of language they use. You know, they can start talking about how they got this new project at work, they've been working long hours, and they just didn't have time to cook, so they've been going out to eat, and every time they go out to eat, they're going to have a bottle of wine to just to you know, cope with the stress. And in our day and age, food is so available. You don't have to go out hunting for it. You don't have to, you know, go to the grocery store, buy your food, come home, figure out what you're going to cook, and then cook for an hour and then eat. You can easily go on your phone nowadays and use an app called Skip the Dishes, and every restaurant in your neighborhood can deliver food to your door. And you don't have to wait around cooking, standing over a hot stove anymore. That's how easy it is. And no wonder people struggle with weight loss when, you know, cooking back in the day was a skill to learn. And now people just go to the easier thing because it's accessible. Just like I'm guilty of it. Like, I'm not going to go to a bookstore to buy a book because that's ridiculous. (laughs) I'm going to go on Amazon click same-day shipping, and get it on my doorstep within 24 hours. So it's the same thing with food. Now, you almost have to look at what's causing the behavior. So is it work stress that you come home and you need, you know, a bottle of wine to, like, undo the stress? Like, what can we do to prevent that? So... I always ask my clients, like, you know, how much alcohol are you drinking? Because sometimes... They can be drinking small amounts, but over a full week, it can add up really quick. So I remember I had this one online client. She filled out all my intake forms, and on the intake form, it does ask, like, you know, how many um, glasses of wine or how many beers do you have per week? And she put down one bottle, and I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. But when I started talking to her about it, it actually turned out she was having a bottle of wine per night. So that's seven bottles a week. And I'm like, holy shit, like that's that's a lot. And I didn't get the sense that she was an alcoholic or anything, which is a whole nother topic. But I figured out that it's because of her work stress that she has to come home every single night have a whole bottle of wine to herself so she can just unwind and relax. So rather than going, hey, you need to stop drinking the whole bottle, see what you can do with the stress situation. So for my example, like I dug in deeper into this client's life a little bit. And again, if you're a coach, there's a fine line between getting too involved and just a little bit like peeling layers off and eventually they'll open up to you. So I figured out that my client couldn't say no. So anytime 
she had an opportunity or her boss would ask her to do something or her coworker asked her to do something, she would say yes. And it is just self-sabotage. And I was talking to Betsy about this on my other episode that people do that without knowing. And if you read this book that I highly recommend to anyone listening, it's called Essentialism. Essentially, you want to learn how to say no. And you might feel that you are, like, being mean or not being nice because you're going to not, you know, your friend's asking you to come out, but you know you have 10,000 things to do at home and you don't want to say no and you say yes and it ends up being more stressful for you than actually you enjoying the event or whatever you're doing with your friend. So learning how to say no will help you in the long run. Like, I've learned this the hard way, building my business. Every opportunity that came at me, I would say yes. And then the next thing I knew, my whole schedule for the full day from 6 a.m. all the way until 8 p.m. was jam-packed with me doing stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, like, when am I going to eat? When am I going to walk my dog? And when am I going to see my wife, most importantly? So pick up on those little things with your clients and even for yourself If you're an emotional eater, learn to be more self-aware, like what's going on in your life. So at this work example I gave, I was trying to teach my client, like, again, I'm not a psychologist. I can't break through people, but asking the right questions. And I got to a point with my client that the reason why she says yes all the time is that she's super motivated to get a higher ranking, get a promotion. Like she's really driven to do really well in her job. So she says yes to everything, which I get. But at the same time, you're sacrificing your own health. Now, what if you learn to say no to one thing per month? That's a small little step. And that little step can take you in the right direction where when you come home, you don't need to have that bottle of wine. So the example I gave to my client is that, say, whatever, your coworker Sally came up to you and needed help with her project, and normally you would say yes, but all you got to say is no, and you need to add a little justification to it. So then the other person doesn't feel mad or like, oh, you're just an asshole, you don't want to help me. An easy one is like, I can't do this because I promised my husband, I promised my child, I promised my girlfriend, I promised my boyfriend that tonight we're doing this. And when that person hears that, they can't be like, well, work's more important because it's not. Right? There's more things to life than just work. Now, having those reasons, you'll learn to adapt and say that Wednesday night that you normally would say yes to your coworker with the uh, project, you actually got home at a reasonable hour and you can actually relax and not feel like, holy crap, that's another day. Where's that bottle of wine? And alcohol is an easy one, right? So there's that's one way of doing it. Learning to say no so you don't have to get into a situation where you need to have a bottle of wine to overcome it. Now, The other situation is you can almost play a game. When you implement games and systems to beat emotional eating or binge behavior, it does work. 
So I had another client that, similar to the bottle of wine, he would love to come home from work after a long day, sit on the couch, and eat a whole bag of chips. And I'm like, awesome. Let's work on that. Because he told me that, like, it's a bad habit and he wants to break it. That's the other thing. Sometimes clients and people in general don't want to break that habit because it's they're used to it. It's a vicious cycle. They're stuck in that habit. But if the person's willing to change and they know that's a bad habit, you got to jump on that opportunity as fast as possible. So with my um, client, he told me, like, I need to stop. Like, it's just empty calories. I don't feel good after. You want to, like, I've told this to a couple people who deal with emotional eating, like, set a timer for 20 minutes. The moment you come home and you're like, all right, I'm going to go grab that bag of chips I've been thinking about all day, pop up your phone, set a timer for 20 minutes, and just wait. Just wait and see. Like, most of the time after you're done your 20 minutes, you're like, honestly, I don't need it. But if you still feel like, yeah, I want that bag of chips, go for it. So what I've learned over the years of dealing with clients with emotional eating habits is that it's not black and white. It's not like you're going to be like, just stop doing it. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You need to learn how to meet your client halfway, find creative ways to break the pattern and the first, like the other thing I tell people is like, learn your environment. Like what do you do automatically that you don't think about and disrupt the pattern? And I think when I interviewed Sarah Campbell on this show, she talked about, I think it was like the purple dinosaur or something like that. No, it's not Barney or <laughs> it, it was some like random toy. And one of her clients, she told her to take this purple elephant dinosaur or whatever and place it in the way of what she was going to emotionally eat with. So then it almost disrupts your brain from the regular pathway. So imagine if your, you know, thing to emotionally eat was, I don't know, ice cream, and you'd always go to the fridge at 7 p.m. in the evening every weeknight, and you put the purple dinosaur on top of your ice cream, and you see that, it almost like, snaps you back into reality and you're like, oh, like I'm doing it. I should, I should think about this. And maybe it doesn't stop you, but it makes you realize that, hey, I'm doing this behavior and maybe, just maybe you'll be like, you know what? I'm going to try today not to do it. And that's a huge, huge win. If your client or yourself stops the pattern one time, That is huge, and you should congratulate yourself if you're strong enough to do it. Now, the other thing I tell clients is that um, it might not be an even emotional eating thing. It might not be even a binge eating thing, but, you know, eating too much of a sweet. So I have another online client that he loves cheesecake, and I love cheesecake as well. And even when I was trying to lose weight way, way back in the day, back in high school, I had this thing, like if I was at a social event or like a family dinner and there was cake, I wouldn't just have one slice. Like you're talking like four or five slices. I would be like polishing off the cake that, you know, most likely people will just put in their freezer and not eat it until like six months down the road. So what I taught myself and now what I'm teaching to my clients is 
you know, if you're used to having three to four slices of cake every time the opportunity arises, like cut it down by one slice. Like you're not going to miss it because guaranteed after you eat dinner and you're on that dessert and you're stuffing that fourth slice in your face, like that doesn't feel good after. And I'm, I bet you anything, everyone here who's ever dealt with eating too much or emotional eating, when you're done, you don't feel good about yourself. So if you eliminate one slice of cheesecake from your four that you usually get, it's not going to make that much of a difference. And that's what I did with myself was, like I said, I would like polish off the cake. I would slowly limit to a point where even my parents were like, are you only having one slice? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. It's a lot of practice. So to kind of sum up, learn the pattern of your behavior when you emotionally eat. Put something in the way of your pattern where you're going to like grab those chips or grab that bottle of wine or grab that ice cream. And that purple dinosaur example is a great method. Or put a sticky note and put it on the sticky note like don't eat the ice cream, you dumbass. Like something that's going to like click in your brain or like Tony Robbins does this. If you've ever watched his documentary and there was a kid in front of him that was basically telling him that he wants to commit suicide and Tony just looks at him because he was like breaking down and I think what Tony said was like is it because of your red fucking shoes and the kid was like huh and his brain just like completely left this whole thought of suicide because all Tony said was the f word So imagine if you open up your freezer and on your ice cream, you wrote the note, fuck you, right? That's going to disrupt your brain because it's a taboo word and it, it just makes you think about something else. You think about that F word. You're like, oh my God, why would, why would you say that? And you're not thinking about that emotion of you eating that ice cream. So disrupting the pattern is huge. Like even moving the food into a different drawer or something and you go to your regular drawer, it's not there. You're like, oh, that's so weird. And now you break the pattern and now you have to go to the other drawer to find it. That's a huge, huge thing to accomplish. And then the other thing to remember is with that wine example, what's causing the stress for you to come home and drink that whole wine bottle? Maybe work on the stress at work That's the prime root cause instead of I should just stop drinking wine because it's easy to say stop drinking wine and it's just going to restrict you and then you're going to want to go right back to it. So try to um, figure out what the stress root cause is and disrupt that. Manage that first before you just eliminate everything in your diet that's making you want to emotionally eat. So hopefully I didn't ramble on and didn't make any sense. Um, But that's kind of my insight when it comes to emotional eating and what I picked up learning from clients. And if you're a coach listening right now, ask a lot of questions to your clients. Learn what they're doing at home. Learn what they're thinking. Learn what is going on in their lives because it's going to make a huge difference for you to understand them. There is a huge divide between coach and client because usually coaches are were athletes back in the day, didn't make the pros, so they're like, oh, I'm going to become a coach, and they automatically think that they're going to start training pro athletes, but we all know your first client and probably your next 
clients for the next five years, if you're not going into sports-specific stuff, is going to be the general population. Learn about the general population. Learn how they think. Learn what they do. Because coaches and clients are completely two different people. And I said it on my other episode. Coaches wake up and they're like, F yeah, I can't wait to deadlift heavy today. Client wakes up. Shit, I need to go to work. I need to get my kids ready for school. F my life, right? They don't think like, oh, can't wait to go to the gym. Meet them halfway. Learn about their psychology. Learn about what motivates them and drives them. And you will be a really successful coach in this business. So that is it. I'm going to stop rambling on. If you have any questions or feedback, feel free to email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. That's R-A-F-A-L at empowerhp.ca. And I'd be happy to discuss more stuff like this with you. And that is it for this episode. Until next time, you guys.